So if a teacher is speaking to a student and says, young man, I'm sending you to the principal's office, that's not a very good sending. Or a wife may say to her husband, uh, I am sending you to the store to buy a few groceries. Well, that's kind of a neutral thing. Generally, it's a neutral thing. Maybe, maybe he doesn't want to go, and suddenly it is no longer neutral. Or if someone were to say to you, we are sending you an all-expenses-paid trip for four to Hawaii, that would really be good news, and you would be in. You would want to be a part of that sending experience. So what about this one from Jesus Christ, the Son of God? didn't say it exactly in these words, but this is basically a paraphrase of what is there in Scripture from Genesis to Revelation. I am sending you into the world on an all-important, all-embracing mission to all of humanity, beginning with your neighborhood. It has been said that if we face a humanity that is too precious to neglect, we know a remedy for the ills of the world too wonderful to withhold. We have a Christ that is too glorious to hide. And as a part of all this, we have an adventure that is too thrilling to miss, all connected with this idea of being sent by God. So again, our primary text today is John chapter 17, verse 18, and it reads as follows. Jesus is praying to his Father, and he says, As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. And scripture also speaks those words to us today as well. Here, January the 4th, 2015. And for a more present tense feel, we can go to John 20, 21 where Jesus says to his disciples and continues to say to us as well, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. Now, this sending emphasis is very strong in the Gospel of John. Close to 10% of the word's usage, sent, throughout the whole Bible, appears in the Gospel of John. It is used 55 times in this gospel, and in John chapter 17, it is used seven times. Often Jesus speaking about the Father had sent him, but then equally turning around to speaking to his disciples and saying, as the Father has sent me, I equally am sending you as well. So, a fair question to be asked right at the onset of this mission's emphasis through the month of January is what are we being sent to do? What's the big mission? I want to bring three thoughts to our attention this morning, all drawn from John chapter 17. Number one, we are being sent to invite others to believe in God. So here's God's agenda that he's inviting us to be a part of. John chapter 17, verse 3. Now this is eternal life that they may know you, Jesus speaking to his heavenly Father, that they may know you, that they may believe in you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. That's the agenda of God the Father, the agenda of the Holy Spirit, it's the agenda of Jesus Christ, and the invitation is that it would be our agenda as well. 
you go to John chapter 17 to the end of this chapter, more towards the end, verse 20, I pray also that those who will believe in me through their message. So he's praying for those who would come to faith, who would believe. And he uses that word, that verb right there, that they would believe in me. Believing is an important word in John. Four observations or comments I would make about the word. It is used about a hundred times in this gospel, making it one of the central themes of this book. It's no wonder that when we encounter people who may not be in a relationship with Jesus Christ, we'll often suggest to them that they would consider first reading the Gospel of John. Why? Because this emphasis on believing, 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 the word appears a hundred times or so in this Gospel. Some other comments about the word believing here is that the word believe in John is always in the verb form. It could also be in the noun form, such as belief or faith and some of the other writings of Scripture. But in the Gospel of John, it's exclusively in the verb form, most often in the present tense, suggesting this action, this dynamic activity, this ongoing belief in Jesus Christ. And so the Gospel of John, there is a sense in which this whole book is alive. Because when you get to the word believe, it's always in the verb form, never in the noun form. And there's this energy that can be felt in the Gospel of John. So when Jesus talks about this and he invites us to be involved in this as well, we are involved in something where there's action and there's energy. A third piece about this is wherever the word believe is used, it adverbs such as deeply or sincerely or entirely are never used in this Gospel. It is kept simply to believe. If one simply believes, and there I'm using an adverb, which I shouldn't be if I'm going to be consistent with the Gospel of John, but if one just believes, they don't have to do it entirely, they don't have to do it sincerely, they don't have to do it deeply, they just believe. The promise that comes through in Scripture in the Gospel of John is there's relationship with God. And then the fourth one is that it's really focused, and you feel this in the Greek language. Oftentimes, when it talks about believing in Jesus Christ, believing in God, it uses a preposition that is more accurately translated as into, rather than the preposition that just is in. And so oftentimes, when you get this word believe in the Gospel of John, it is believe into Jesus Christ, is the the real, literal translation of the text. Now, we don't do that with our translations But the idea there is there's a real sense of focus that we're believing into Jesus Christ. He is the object of our faith and the focus of our faith. So this idea of believing is really important in the Gospel of John. And with this first mandate of being sent, we are being sent to invite others to believe in Jesus Christ, to believe in God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Now, related to that, how... Where, when do we do that? I think you're going to hear a lot of that through the missions festival, through the month of January here, through the daily rhythms of life. As you go with the Great Commission, as you go, as you go, wherever you are involved in life, there are opportunities to be engaged, being sent, inviting others to believe in God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Many opportunities, but obviously one that is most central to our world 
is are the vocational settings that we're called to. And I recognize not everyone's working here. There are many people who are retired. Equally, there are many people that are still students and you're moving towards vocation. But a vocational settings, I keep asserting and I keep wanting to emphasize and keep sharing and, and the perspective of other people as well is that we need to view those vocational settings, those places that we go to work as places where we are being sent and they are opportunities. Many opportunities to share and invite other people to believe in God. A couple of little illustrations on this. I watched a, and listened to a story of a Harvard business grad, a believer in Jesus Christ who took a job at a consumer products company, a toilet paper company to be more specific. With rising input costs, he was tasked with the production packaging department, he was a manager, of cutting back 32 squares per roll and at the same time doing so in a way that the new package size-wise still looks somewhat the same as it was before. It created a little bit of a crisis for him in terms of the meaning of his work. What does this have to do with being involved in kingdom building? However, as a layperson dedicated to Christ, he challenged his thinking and started to think in terms of being a set missionary into his workplace setting. And he started to view his work as mission to Monday, which speaks of being sent by Jesus into the workplace. Day-to-day work became more than how to make the absence of 32 squares to look good. At the heart of his life came this sense of being sent into the marketplace. Doing his work, doing his work well as a manager, but at the same time recognizing that he was sent as a missionary to invite people that he would interact with, executives and managers and people that would be working on the floor, to consider belief in Jesus Christ. The second illustration that I would give, and spoke to a financial advisor not that long ago, not from our setting right here, but who speaks about his work in those very terms. He said, my mission statement is to bring the shalom and the peace of God to my clients through sound financial advice and where appropriate to also share what it means to believe in Jesus Christ. We are being sent to invite others to believe in God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's a big part of what it means to be sent uh, by God into the world that we live in. Now, (coughs) with that will come a totally different way of viewing the world, which suggests our second reason for being sent. And we draw this from the Gospel of John, John 17. We, as we invite people to believe in God, at the same time, directly or indirectly, We're inviting others to think differently about the world that we live in. That is reflected in John 17, 13 to 17. And again, Jesus is praying to his heavenly Father. He says, I am coming to you now, but I say these things while I'm still in the world so that they may have the full measure of joy within them. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is that you take them out of the world, but my prayer is that you not take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. The main idea coming out of those few verses there, our believers are not of this world. We are not of this world. 
and we need to think differently of this world. And as a part of that, as we're being sent in the mission, and we're inviting people to think about God and believe in God, at the same time, either implied or directly, we're saying, inviting to think differently about the world that we are living in. <coughs> Excuse me. Pastor Bruce's sermon title last week was, We Are Just Passing Through. The message in part was about the brevity of life. Life is short, and that has implications for all of us. It really is short. My grandmother, who lived, and I've said this before, who lived to 85, but she said that when she hit 30, and then after 30, the decades just kind of went like that, and she lived to about 85. And life really is fast. There's a brevity of life and a shortness of life. We need to be encouraged to think about that brevity of life and to think in terms of, regardless of what age we are, that the river that separates this life and the next is not way out over there somewhere, but regardless of age, we always walk beside that river right now and be constantly aware of our own mortality and the shortness of life. I don't know if you saw this two or three weeks ago, but it made the news all over the world. But Pope Francis is stinging sermon to Vatican leaders, and he had a list of 15 sins in which when he was talking to his cardinals and some of his bishops and some of the leaders there in in Rome. And uh, I went online and read that uh, sermon, that short sermon. But uh, one of the sins simply was... uh, uh, you are living as if though this, you are going to be immortal right now in this very present life in which you're in. And his reminder to them, to himself and to all those there about this life is that it's very short and it's very brief and we need to think differently about the world that we're living in. We're not permanent residents here. We're here for a short time or just simply, as Bruce said last week, passing through. I find it interesting that ancient merchants, so these are business people, these are finance people, often wrote the words memento mori, which means think of their death, in large letters on the first page of their accounting books. So as they were involved in their businesses, they were involved in their finances, they were constantly remembered. Memento mori, remember your death and think differently about this world that we are living in. We are being sent whether it's directly or whether it's implied, to invite others to think differently of the world as reflected in John chapter 17, 13 through to 17. But it also comes through in 1 John chapter 2, 15 to 17, where John said, do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. But everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. Now, the word world is used three different ways in Scripture. It talks about the created world. That's not what it's talking about here. The second way is it talks about humanity, for God to love the world. That's not what it's talking about here. What it's talking about here is the living of life without God, doing so with godless and sinless values. And this text is speaking of that, that's, that way of thinking. And we're sent into the world, to the people, to think differently about the world in which we live in. And the interesting thing about this is that we can be disliked 
and hated even for some of the values that we will reflect because of our Christian perspectives. Jesus said that in John chapter 17. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them. Even go to Matthew chapter 10, 22. You will be hated by everyone because of me. When we are actively involved in saying we need to believe in God, we invite you to believe in God, we invite people to think differently about the world in which they live in, we are challenging the status quo. And as we challenge the status quo and we reflect the commandments of God, sometimes people are going to get really ticked off at us because they don't like what we believe, the convictions that we do have. But even with that, we are still, when you look at John chapter 17, we are being sent to invite others to think differently about this world that we live in, the brevity of life, the false values that are there. Oh, my goodness, the, the advertising world. We are so bombarded with false values constantly. And we are being invited to challenge that and to think differently and to think that the scriptures will guide our values rather than what comes out of the advertising world and all that we should have or could have or would want to have. Now, a third thing, though, that comes through in Scripture here is, in John 17, is not only are we invited to invite people to believe in God and then to think differently about the world, but as an extension of that, too, is we're being invited, we are being sent to invite others to embrace heaven right now. John 17 has a decided heaven emphasis or perspective. You look at John, you know, the interesting thing about John 17, generally we think about it as a prayer by Jesus to his heavenly father about unity. And that's a key line and key thought all the way through this uh, chapter here. But it begins with an emphasis on heaven in the beginning and right towards the end as well on heaven as well, though it doesn't use the term heaven. John 17, 1 and 2, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that your son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Eternal life is a key emphasis all the way through the Gospel of John. And it doesn't use the term heaven there, but eternal life is a relationship with God. But equally, it's talking about this eternal timeline, which ultimately culminates in our relationship with God in heaven. And then you go to the end of John chapter 7, or towards the end, in verse 24, Father, I want those you have given me, which includes all of us right in this room right here, Believe if we're in relationship with Christ, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory. What's he praying for there? Jesus is days away, just a few days away from his death and then ultimately the, the, the resurrection that follows. And then beyond that, the ascension. And with the ascension, he's into the throne and there he is in Revelation chapter 5. The invitation here is I want those, the prayer that those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory. And his emphasis here is about his disciples then and today as well, as he's praying that we'll find our way into heaven. As a part of that, then, we are being sent 
this emphasis on being sent in John chapter 17, we're invited to send, we are being, uh, we are being sent to invite others to heaven itself. Over the Christmas season here, I looked at the uh, book by Randy Alcorn. It's a book entitled Heaven. I actually have it right here in front of me, and some of you might want to look at it afterwards. Randy Alcorn is on a mission to get people thinking more about heaven. His ministry is Eternal Ministries Perspectives. And with about 40 books to his credit, many of them have to do with heaven and with eternal life. He, in a sense, is picking up the message of the Norman Rockwell painting, which I've made reference to before. It's a picture of a church located in a downtown setting, and the painting reflects people that are all walking by this church, and all of them have their eyes fixed down to the ground. And there's a sermon title that you can see in front of the church for the Sunday message, and the sign, uh, the, 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 the message sign on the sign reads, Lift up thine eyes. Our eyes can be so fixed to the ground on tasks, on shopping, on travel details, on cooking and cleaning, and on more cleaning and cooking. And we need to lift up our eyes at different times to the heavens, to the future. And with that, we are also being sent to invite others to lift up their eyes to the future, the not-too-distant future, because again, I would suggest to you the river is not out there for all of us, but we walk beside the river today, right now, regardless of age. His book has close to 500 pages dedicated to the theme of heaven. It's a good book anchored in biblical thought, a significant contribution is his challenge to the thinking that in heaven, uh, his challenge to the thinking that in heaven we live as disembodied spirits and may be involved with little to do day by day as we sort of exist in, in heaven itself. But rather his argument is that heaven is a place, a tangible, concrete place, the new Jerusalem come down to earth where we will be engaged in ongoing, dynamic, ever-learning life. Discipleship will continue in that place, that tangible place called heaven. He also raises questions that ultimately cannot be answered, but nonetheless reinforces heaven as a place. Questions such as, will we all appear the same age in heaven? With that, what is the ideal age in heaven? Is it 60 or is it 30? Um, So it's kind of an interesting question. He ultimately can't answer it, but it reinforces this idea of heaven as a specific place. It raises the question, will we wear clothes in heaven? Well, I sure hope so. And uh, I'm not sure that we're all into white, but the, the clothes in the book of Revelation, white robes. And I don't know if you're all into white robes, but maybe that's what the fashion will be there in heaven. He even that raises, it's a serious question on this part. Will we drink coffee, will we drink coffee in heaven? And and he's raising the question and reinforces the idea that heaven is a place, a tangible, concrete place, somewhere where we're going to be and we can interact with people and we worship God and you have a Starbucks cup of coffee at the same time. So I don't know, it's kind of creative thinking. And he's not trying to be be funny or anything like that. This is a serious question for him. Will there be marriage and family in heaven? He raises that question as well. And it caught me by surprise, this one, he raises the question, will there be sex in heaven? And, um, and ultimately, you know, he can't answer that question, but he kind of suggests that probably not. People are thinking about heaven. 
At least some are thinking that way. Uh, some of you would be acquainted with Mitch Albom. He is the one who wrote the book Tuesdays with Maury, and kind of a bestseller that's been out there for a number of years. Actually, he's come out with it, and he's come out with a new book entitled First Phone Call from Heaven. It's a novel. It's a fictional work. The story portrays a series of phone calls, all supposedly from heaven, God, to various people in this small community in the United States, who sets up kind of a fascinating story. Even the storyline, even though that the story feel uh, storyline at times feels pressed or manufactured at times, it's still a page turner type of book, and it's a bestseller. And what it says to me more than anything else is seemingly people are hungry for glimpses into heaven, albeit by way of a fictional account. And in contrast, we are the people of God who we come with the word of God. We tell people that, uh, we invite people to believe in God. We invite people to think differently about the world, that the timeline shouldn't be short and then we invite people to embrace the reality of heaven. And I mean, as much as the book is a good read by this, uh, the first phone call from heaven, ultimately the best read about heaven is stuff that would be reflected when you're looking at the core of biblical material uh, from someone like uh, Randy Alcorn here or looking to Revelation 21 and 22 or Revelation 4 and 5 where we get glimpses and pictures into the reality of heaven. <coughs> We are being sent to invite others to embrace heaven. And a big part of that in the short time we have is to simply reflect heaven as our not-too-distant future. This is not our home. That is why we view the world differently than those who may not be in Christ. And indicators, indicators that heaven is important to us might include or would include a certain joy. I find it interesting in Luke chapter 10, verse 20, with Jesus speaking to his disciples who've come back from a mission trip that has been exciting, where they've been casting out demons. And Jesus says to them, However, do not rejoice that the Spirit submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven, bringing that heavenly focus. Or another indicator that we're tracking with this idea of heaven is a certain confidence about life. One of the most challenging things Jesus said was Matthew 10, 28. He said, do not be afraid of those who kill the body, but cannot kill the, kill the soul. He's telling us, he's inviting us, he's challenging us. He, he challenged his early disciples, don't be afraid of those who can kill you. Why? Because you're going to heaven. And he says that so bluntly and straightforwardly to these people, these disciples, in a real sense says that to us as well. And so those are indicators, this sense of confidence about this life and the sense of joy that comes because we're, we're believing in God. We're thinking differently about the world. And a big part of thinking about this, uh, the world differently is we got an eye to the future life in heaven itself. As we move to conclusion, there are no atheists in foxholes. It's been said, take a saying that's taken from a wartime setting, suggesting that at times of great stress, Everyone becomes a believer in Christ. There's a new book out there entitled Deep Down Dark. It's a story of the 33 miners in Chile, imprisoned in Chile some 70 days, going back about four years ago. And, um, but the interesting thing in that book is that the first 18 days when there was no contact with anyone on the surface, all of those miners, hardened miners, hardened men, 
They all participated in the daily noon hour prayer meetings, which were optional. They were seeking God and looking for God. People around us are in very different circumstances, but there are all kinds of pressures out there. There are all kinds of stresses that people are dealing with where people would welcome the opportunity of hearing the message from someone sent by God, inviting them to believe in God, to think differently about the world, and to embrace heaven as their future home. Jesus said, as you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. Forest Grove Community Church, Jesus is sending us. And it's a big part of what we're emphasizing through this missions month. Conclude with this verse out of 2 Corinthians chapter 14. But thanks be to God who always leads us as captives in Christ's triumphal procession and uses us to spread the aroma of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are to God the pleasing aroma of Christ among those who are being saved. The scent become the aroma of God in the community of Saskatoon and surrounding communities and wherever we have opportunity to interact with people.